0: This is Milton Walters and you're listening to Adapting In My Grief. I'm going to be talking to people and hear their stories regarding their experiences with grief, the loss of their loved one, the importance of the support they received and how they've learned to adapt to a life without their loved one. Just a heads up, today due to COVID we're recording out of my house in southwest Victoria so be prepared for anything to happen, a dog barking, door closing, an 18 year old coming bursting through a door when he shouldn't anything Seven years ago yesterday uh, Emma and Steve Watty's life turned upside down. Their second child, Sylvie who was just 15 months old died of SIDS. Steve was in the midst of completing his anesthesiology training and M was very busy with three-year-old Lena, a midwife herself. The last seven years they've moved forward with their lives. They've had twins, Frank and Vera, who are now four years old. They've moved back to the district to southwest Victoria in Port Ferry. And although they very humbly deny it, they've had such a positive impact on so many people. Him and Steve, welcome. Um, I imagine you've relived that day of Sylvie's death many, many times over, as anyone who's lost somebody has. But rather than focus just immediately on that day, what was the days leading up to Sylvie's death like?
1: Look, to be honest, our, our life was absolutely perfect. I even said to a friend leading up, I just feel guilty how how perfect our life is. Steve had just finished um, his last exams. He'd he worked so hard and, you know, really we didn't see much of Steve for probably two years with his study. And um, all of a sudden we had all this family time. We'd been on a little holiday down the coast. Um, Lena and Sil were just
2: best buddies they were just
1: best friends weren't they mm-hmm. and so yeah sylvie was 15 months and just so just a gorgeous little thing she was just you know hitting all the milestones she was a real cruiser cheeky and yeah we just yeah life was was really incredible really um and
0: you're in melbourne we're in
1: melbourne yeah. yeah so the day before Sylvie died we it was Steve was actually at work. It was a Sunday. Yep. He was working the weekend and uh, just had a normal day. of a picnic in the, in the backyard. Sylva was running around and then we went and met Steve at the MCG and I, st- I still remember when you saw her for the first time and Lena and us and hands, you know, waving ab- above your head. You were just so excited to see them and to think back now, that was actually the, the last time mm-hmm. you, you you did see her alive and um yeah we me and the girls we went home steve had stayed at the footy and uh, Sylv ate all the dinner and we always joke she ate half of Lena's too she had a good little appetite and i I literally put her to bed without a worry in the world um so then as you would as you would and um didn't hear a peep from her all night which is pretty normal for Sylv. she was a great little sleeper the next morning, and Lena came into our room, I remember I said, shh, don't wake up, Sylvie. And, um, and then it was getting a little bit later, I'm thinking, oh, she's slept in a bit. So I went to check her and I actually went to close the door back over. I thought, oh, yeah, I thought i saw sort of take a breath. But really, I, I looked back in, I thought, oh, there's a shadow on her face and a, her face was discolored, and um, yeah, I knew I, I mean, she was she was gone. And thank God, it was, I mean, it was a Monday morning. Normally, Steve would be at work, but Steve was home, and uh, I just, I just you know, screamed, and and
2: that woke me. And obviously, Emma came running in with Sylv, and, and we just you know in total shock. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we you know started. CPR because you know that's something that was not foreign to either of us through our work and we're very careful you know Mm. ring the ambulance and so Emma did that and the
1: best thing that you said which I think you doctors had on was don't let Lena see any of this and I think that was just one of the best things because Lena just went in in you know into the lounge room and you know because she would have remembered all of that. Yeah, so we just started, you know.
2: Did our CPR. Emma was speaking to the ambulance. At one stage, we swapped and I was talking to the ambulance people just to make sure the information was getting over. And they were on their way, the MICA, and they said yes. And before we knew it, they were coming in, the fire brigade. on two. a main road. And then once the people were there, it was like they took over from the CPR from Emma and I the things that I would do in my professional job was, you know, should I do this now? And, you know, we went through a cycle of everything that we would do. There was nothing we could do. We knew that. Yeah. Emma, I still remember, just trying to warm her up. Mm.
1: Yeah.
2: But, but we knew, they knew. And I think they were just
1: sort of doing it for us. It was pretty, It was, we knew she was gone. We just yeah. knew it. Yes. But, oh, my God, they were they were really so wonderful to us. We, I mean, a lot of the times I think they would, you know, take the child straight away and, you know, pop in the ambulance and go, but we were lucky. We, they just said, you can have as much time. And, you know, then the police came and, of course, all I could think of was, you know, Lindy Chamberlain. I, I I was not crying. I was just like... shocked. shock. And yep. I'm thinking, oh, my God, they're going to think I've, I've I've killed her. And, you know, that's just... Oh, I'll never forget oh. that. And after that, it was we, you know, we sh- we showed her around the house and we said goodbye. I, I remember,
2: and it must have been soon after she passed away. We took her to her bedroom mm. and we sort of cleaned her up a bit and put some. I think we put a new nappy mm. and some nice pajamas on her mm. because then we were going to be like we just didn't let her go.
1: Yeah,
2: and we had you know lots of questions from people, appropriately from the police and yes. It was getting to the point, I remember for me, the issue, I I just kept saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It felt like life was over and we were supposed to be moving to Adelaide in a few months' time, but obviously there was a lot to go through Mm -hmm. and the policeman was really good. Yeah. And eventually it was time to to go go to the hospital Mm -hmm. in the end. And so which hospital did you get to? So Emma and I... Hopped in the ambulance with um, Sylv, after taking her around the house and taking her out to her
1: garden and yeah. Yeah.
2: her cubby house.
1: Yeah. So that, but I, it's just all totally out of body and yeah. But so the trip to um, Royal Children's, and we got there, and that's when it it was just, it was like we we're in a movie and we we're actors, and we got out of the. Out of the ambulance, and we were just like we were getting carried through these corridors, and it just wasn't real. It was just. But
2: evacuated. we were literally. Uh, we were met by a doctor and a nurse, and just by chance, the doctor I knew from our time at the Alfred. I would see her at trauma calls, and so she would only know me as Steve, and I would only know her as Cheryl. But we knew each other, and I think that was a real shock to her that she was going to deal with, with someone yeah. who I know. Yes, I and then it would be. You know they led us through the hospital and i still remember you know i was carrying sylv we had it in especially you know in a blanket from home but we were walking down a corridor that when i worked at their old children's i would walk down every day <laughs> and i was walking past people like i would when i was yeah, working know. but i'm carrying sylv who's passed away now and i suppose i don't know you just can't believe that that was happening but They took us to what we now know is like the bereavement room. Um, And it was like a family room. And really this is where I suppose our next journey of our life really started. Doctors trying to, you know, piece together what's happened with Sylve the social worker and the nurses that were there and being the, our support and people. And the chaplain and, and the, the chaplain people very quickly getting around. Yeah. 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 And one of the things we had to do back at the house was ring up mother's group friend from around the corner to say, come and take Lena, please. And, you know, they came around and I couldn't believe what had happened, but they took Lena, and we had our time. Mm-hmm. We then had Lena came later in the day to be with Sylv. Yeah, you know, my brother and my best mate, they'd come to the house, so they'd come in. Yeah,
1: every, all the families, yeah, my family have driven up. And yeah, we were, we were really lucky because we, we pretty much spent the whole day in this yeah. room. And also really, everyone really got to lie with Sylv and yeah. say goodbye. and We'd Sing
2: a songs, read a books. Yeah. The, um, the, I don't know what you call them, but like the Starlight <laughs> Foundation workers, which Captain thing. Chops and Princess Leila or something. They've never you
1: know. ever done yeah. anything like that in, our, in their lives, but we actually asked some of them to come into sort of entertain Leans. Yeah. Lena, but we sort of knew that, or Sylve would have made love that. Yes. So, yeah, there was some really, like, you can't even believe that those things were actually happening on well, such a traumatic day. Well, I mean,
0: just this explosion of emotions, yeah. you know, of you know, and this tra- you know, horrendously traumatic yeah. experience and, I mean, it must seem so surreal that, you know, you, someone's doing that, they're reading stories and oh, they're doing, I mean, like, it just, I, I can't even imagine yeah, how. Yeah, it was
1: just, uh, but we're really lucky that we just, we were able to stay there and just, because we were kind of a social worker, oh, well, what do we do? What do other parents do? We just, and she goes, just do whatever you feel like you want to do. And mm. I'm like, well, can't she you just probably feel like screaming. Tell, yeah. tell me what to do, you know? And so we just started, you know, reading to her and singing to her yeah. and, yeah.
2: And I think through our work, both being healthcare, medicine, nursing, we've seen obviously death in the past. And yet even if you haven't seen it so much firsthand, you learn about it in training and things to do to support people. And even without consciously thinking about it, I think that led for what we did that day, you know, trying to, it's not even grief yet. To healthily get through the day, mm. and I don't think that just comes from our sort of inner strength. I don't know. I think mm. maybe it's something to do with the training, the training mm. that we've done.
0: Yeah, it's such a unbelievably traumatic experience. Um, mm. To try and make any sort of sense of it, just seems quite ridiculous, oh. really. Um,
1: and thank God it does feel out of body because it's just too much to really to. To,
0: to think about. You know. well, I mean, when you talk about family and friends, I imagine over the first month you know, to six weeks, there was a lot of you know people around you constantly. Um, did you find, um, and I'm thinking of my own experiences here, <coughs> that some people were awkward, you know, very awkward to you, you know, in terms of talking about, you know, such a. You know, shocking loss.
1: Yeah, definitely. We we learned that pretty quickly. There was um, a couple of people um, but the majority were overwhelmingly just incredible. Yeah. And we were, we've we been so, so lucky. Because
0: you can only really feel like you've, the, the goodwill and support can lift you up oh, in a lot of ways. Oh, it does. It? Yeah. it
1: does. And I remember at the start, you know, our house was full and and you know, some people would say, do you, want, "Do you want us to leave? Do you want some space?" I'm like, oh, "No, we just did. we just wanted, because the thought of that house being empty and Silas not there would have just been, you know, too much." So, yeah, we've got amazing. We're, we're very lucky from from the get go. Yeah.
0: yeah, great support. Mm. I did read uh, an article in relation to you started to go camping. You know, to bought a tent and got out. We'd spoken about that just previously, about how the environment and being out in nature can be, you know, just so good for you in terms of mental space. But the, the article I did read talked about the camping trip to Pambula. Mm-hmm. And and I, when I read that, I thought, you can't be serious. Um, so <laughs> yeah. to just just a, a, a brief yeah, mention of that, that, that. was really... Which was in the January, was it? That's After, right. Yeah, that's right. So it's four months later.
1: We really... Camping, being in nature, you know, the sunset, sunrise, looking, you know, open fire with us that became a really big thing for us. We loved those little rituals and we yeah, you know, we did go camping a few times and we did a, a road trip up the coast and I remember, still remember the day. It was it was a day when we thought, Oh, this is we were having a really good day. Yes. And um of course we got back to our car and been completely sort of ransacked and our, all our journals that we'd been writing all of our Things in about Silver gone. It was just bloody
0: biggest belief, really. Oh, uh,
1: I know, but to in all honesty, we we didn't even have the energy to be angry, mm. did we? We just looked. That's it can't be as bad as losing Silver. I think that's how we got, got a lot of it. You know, nothing else really.
2: Yeah, we did way, have a few uh, just things that happened after that. That it's a bit. It's not Silver dying.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it was it was still a real like we had a roll of things going wrong, and we're just like, my God,
2: yeah, are we ever
1: going to get a, a break? Mm. Yeah, so that was
2: pretty tough. A little bit right? of extra trauma that we probably didn't <laughs> yeah. need at the time. Just a bit of icing on yeah. the cake, you know. But that um, it's funny to talk about that article because that led to one of the good things, and that's the support of people you know, but also strangers, yes. and my wallet and probably Emma's too was stolen mm. that day and it wasn't the money or the cards that could come back or the credit cards anyway but our Zoom membership
1: and our Medicare card and Medicare card with her on
2: name on it and um, the Medicare card eventually they removed the name of someone who's passed away but um, that's yeah unfortunate but I remember we got it reissued to us without them knowing. So that was one thing. But the zoo, Emma got this random phone call from Amon, I think his name Mm -hmm. was. And he was a worker at Melbourne Zoo and he said, I've read your story. I feel you know, touched by it. We'd love to reissue you with a new membership for the family membership for the next twelve months. And there'll be Sylvie's name on the card. And
0: and it was just that's beautiful. outstanding, isn't it? So because, God
1: knows how he found out about
0: that. But it's interesting you bring up the Medicare thing, and I'll probably get approached by Medicare <laughs> because Brett Ratton said the same thing in, yeah. in his interview in relation to them ringing him and wanting to, you know, mm-hmm. issue new cards without Cooper's name on it. And he said, you know, "How insensitive can you be? This is just." You know, someone at the zoo yes. who doesn't even know you has yeah. reached out independently, so good it. on that person.
1: It was, it, And that was just those, one of those, you know, uplifting. uplifting things that just kept you going and, you yeah, because it is those little things when you lose someone dear that, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to see that
0: again. Mm. Oh, that's the last time. I
1: can have a photo of her. Or,
0: mm. Yeah. yes, I can relate to that with things like the license, mm. you know, passports, those yes. sort of things. Yeah. Um, so this camping uh, beginning, which sort of hit that wall a little bit in Pangula, yeah. um, obviously sort of was nurtured a little bit more in relation to you guys taking off on a trip um, a little bit later, which had a, was a, a far grander trip. How did that unfold in terms of the thinking? Was it just like, um, we just just want to get out and just you know open space and get on the road and what have you? Because I, I, I say that because at the very start of this year, um, I remember thinking to myself, um I could just grab my passport and just go to the airport and I don't care where the first, I'm going. Yes. Um of course I had an eighteen year old to look after and that wasn't a seven year old, that wasn't gonna happen. But I that was the sort of thinking at the time just just get away, you know. Um was
2: that how it sort uh, of This sort of I think goes for us back to on that day when Sylph died what are we gonna do? Um What we decided to do was not move to Adelaide. I was supposed to move over there to finish my anaesthetic training. Mm -hmm. But three months after Silvertime, time, moving to a new state where we knew no one and had no support was not a good option. So we broke it down to should we stay and I finish my training or should we take a year off? And pros and cons, so glad we stayed. Work was fantastic. The boss, I, I started trying to look for a job because by now it's September and your last year of training is a special year. Um, I started re- applying or ringing around to a few of the Melbourne hospitals um, and the boss at the Alfred um, just pulled me aside one day and said, um, oh, I hear you're staying in town and you're ringing around for some good jobs. That's great, but don't accept a rubbish job. If you need one, we'll make you one. One, we'll make one for you here, and that was a real relief. Um, and then I ended up using it. I had six months at Monash, and I stayed at the Alfred for another six months, which was really good for me. Stability, both, yeah, stability, like professionally for going back to work um, and having. Great support. Everyone knew what I'd been through for that first six months of the year, and then the second six months of the year. So it meant that we pushed back our camping year. Mm. It's
0: interesting just to just to
2: um,
0: drill down on that little bit about the workplace because it's something that fascinates me in terms of an area that you know I like to explore about you know, how workplaces actually can uh, get together and really support somebody that's in a you know a bereaving situation, not just for the Know, the four to six weeks but over the course of you know maybe a year or two yes. and have you in a very subtle way but a very supportive way and I know when we first spoke you mentioned that your first day back at the Alfred was was a pretty special one and
2: how long did you actually have off within no time work was informed about Sylve's passing and of course there was some messages of condolences but I think by about 9am the following morning I had a little message that said you know of course, we're here for you. Come back whenever you're ready, but just letting you know that all your hour, after-hours shifts have been covered until Christmas. And this is September nine so right. Died. So within 24 hours, the junior medical staff had been arranged and had volunteered and had taken on our out-of-hours commitment, which meant that in four weeks when I did go back to work or after four or five weeks, I was on day shift only and – Work was smart. They always rostered me with another anaesthetist While being a fourth year or senior trainee, you would often just have your own theatre and work away with someone as supervision, or you can bounce ideas off. But they knew for me that they just wanted someone there all time. So it would never be a question that if I needed a minute or an hour or just a day off, it wasn't going to leave anyone in the lurch because there was always already someone there. Hmm. Before I went back, as you say, say I was starting on Monday, I think it was Thursday or Friday of the week before, I went into work to go and meet with the deputy director and just walking into the building, I knew that I broke down and that was fine because that was going to happen. It was best that it wasn't happening on a day where I was providing clinical work. And then I went and met with Glenn in his office and We had a great chat and, yeah, of course I was crying. And I probably called in once a week for the next month or two. And it wasn't a formal, how are you going, what are you up to? It was just a a casual chat where he would always ask or one of the other senior doctors would ask um, how I was getting on and we'd have a chat and how is Emma and Lena and what have we been doing because we'd always be, Going to visit Syl or doing something, just the three of us, but in honour of Sylvan they wanted to hear about it, and they they knew that a box of tissues was always appropriate, and that was okay.
0: That's lovely, wasn't So they're encouraging you to really, you know, to talk about it very openly, and and mm-hmm. no matter what came with it, yeah. that was okay.
2: Well, one of the senior guys rang me. I was probably about three weeks out, so he'd probably heard that I was coming back in a week, and he rang and said, "I didn't know whether." To, this was appropriate to make this call or not. I didn't know if you'd answer or not, mm. but I just wanted to see how you're getting on. And mm. that was just so
1: And good. I think it's so important to have that sort of feeling of like a, a safe place for, for you to go. And I think that's what Steve's colleagues did. They provided a safe environment that he could talk about Sylv or he could, yeah. And, and you know that they would listen and, and I think that's really important, and that, you know, helped with your anxiety levels going yeah. back to work knowing that they just. You, always... You're in a
0: safe place. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what a credit to them. Yes, yeah. I can't think of that. Oh, yeah. Right. So he goes back to work and he's in the safe place. You're at home, yeah. um, and, I'm, you know, you're going to keep moving with your life. Mm. And you told the most beautiful story to me a little while ago about um, the Carmelites <laughs> yeah. that. Um, and, and, I, and I think it's probably worthwhile saying if you said to me, I'm not religious, but was this basically around the same time Steve's yeah. just gone back to work? Can so
1: something? it was, yeah, so it was, one, it was one of the first days that Steve had gone back to work. And, and Lena at And Lena at daycare. So it was probably the first day that I was at home by myself. And I remember just lying in bed and, And anyway, it's like I got pulled. I just, I, I just got up and I'm like, I'm going to go and visit those, that Carmelite Monastery around the corner. And looking back, it was the best thing that we ever did. So I took myself around there and I met these gorgeous nuns, Sister Frances, Sister Philomena, and I told them about Sylvie. And they just looked at me and they said, I remember the words, Sister Philomena just kept on saying. She's closer than you think. She's closer than you think. She's closer than you think. It was like I could see her on my shoulder and it was the most... I I just left there knowing that we were going to be okay and I remember I rang you and I remember I drove to to see Steve's grandma because she was quite unwell and I just needed to tell her that we're going to be okay. And the Carmelites became a, a, a huge part of our life. They they told us that we wouldn't stop praying for Sylvie and we wouldn't stop praying for us. And I think that power of prayer, and like you said, we were not particularly particularly religious, but it just kept us afloat. It absolutely, it was so powerful. And anyone who knows the Carmelites know that they're known for their, their prayers. It's what they do. And... Um, so I used to just go back there, you know, once once a week and you could light light candles and I'd just sit there and, and cry or not cry and, and chat to them and Chat to Syl. Like even like two days ago I gave them a call to, to remind them of Syl's anniversary and they're still praying for us, so yeah. but yeah, that but how way.
0: lovely though for I me mean, to to impart that onto you at that moment though when you you know, you're waking up in the morning thinking, God, how am I going to get through the oh. day? You know, Steve's off at work in his environment. And yet, you know, you, you leave that interaction just really believing, believing oh. Oh. you're oh. going to be okay.
1: Absolutely. It was gorgeous. It was, yeah. And I think that's, and going back to that sort of support and that power of prayer and and I think that's, you know, we had the calm praying for us, but, we had everyone in their own way praying for us, you mm. know, whether it was just positive vibes or whatever you say. But they carried us. The whole community carried us and there's no way mm. we would have got through without that. And I think we allowed them to to, mm. to do that. Mm. And, you know, because, yeah, I think we, we made it known pretty early that for us to survive this we had to to talk about
0: self. But you're letting people in too. Yes. I mean, absolutely. And that's the other thing which to me is like, I mean, and we talked about this before, but I mean, people grieve differently, men and women grieve differently, and um, and people may not want people to come to them, but in mm. this case, it seems to me that it, uh, uh, it's been absolutely paramount in terms of your ability to just let people in and the openness has yeah. really just
2: worked so well in terms of moving your lives forward. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that really allowed us to talk about Sylve and allow other people to talk about Sylve and then provide that support that Emma just discussed was the run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was sort of around that time of the Pamela incident, about four months after Sylve died. um, I just started doing some little jogging around the hills of Kew um for my good heels there yeah, paper, right? <laughs> so my, um, yeah that was my sylv time and my thinking of sylv and it, you know it might be running and sobbing but it was me and sylv and i really enjoyed it yeah. and i said and i was not a runner or <laughs> an exercise person i'm going to do a half marathon for Sylve and my brother was on board and then we put it out there to our family and friends that we're going to have Team Sylvie Sunshine and we're going to raise some money for Sids and Kids that had been really good and a key part of our recovery or our carry-on after Sylvie died. And in the opening days, the support was overwhelming. And then the 200 people that ran and the 1,000 people that donated probably and it really gave us a lift. And it allowed people to easily speak about Silv mm. in a way by saying, How's your run going? How's Team Sylvie Sunshine going? I see it's going good.
1: Yeah. And that was their way of talking and about And you raised
2: Sylvie. How much money did you raise? $154,000.
1: Yeah. But I mean, that is phenomenal, really. <laughs> yeah. And, but I mean, God, it was, it was a, a lot of work. And I don't know how we sort of did it. And at times, i like, I don't want anybody doing this. You know, this is just. <laughs> It's
0: too onerous, oh, it's quite and just, overwhelming, and
1: well. But the the reason we were doing it, you know, it's just yes. we we shouldn't be doing this yeah. because our child should be still alive. But uh, it was just, and as you know, it just it just it was just out of control to yeah. be honest. And it really
2: allowed us to share Silv with so many more people. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: and, um, you know that support we got from people that joined and started running. You know. I don't know but a, a, a small majority a small minority would have known Sylve mm. so many people were just people that we met and they're like okay well they knew that Sylve was alive and, but they didn't know her but they got involved and in part of the But what need. was
1: beautiful that came out of that there was other people that may have had stillborns or yes. they they might have had a brother who was uh, or, or, or seeds, or, or whatever, and they'd never been able to talk about that child who had died. And, yes. and all of a sudden it was safe to talk about it. And quite a few people take me aside and said, I've never been able to talk about this. And, yeah, I was like one of the first people that knew that they may have had a, a brother or a sister. And it's just so the conversations that came out of that, and maybe some healing for some other people was, yeah. So, yeah, that was pretty special. You mentioned
0: um, SIDS uh, in terms of the organisation mm. um, and the support, Steve, I think you said before about just you know how good they were. Um, you know, how important really was that in terms of the, I mean, it's a, a well-known organisation which I think was, um, it was state by state, it's now national in mm. terms of it, the way and it's And now structured. they're
1: called Red Nose. Red Nose, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I mean, incredibly important work and services and support that they offer, clearly.
1: I can't imagine what our journey would have been like if we hadn't um, met with them. Yeah. We, yeah, we we saw them quite regularly initially, just like, just one on a lot with us as a couple. Yeah. And then we became part of a a support group. But just like I remember our first meeting, with Ming-Golby just didn't want to but we did and i think was that's that in a group
0: or was it no a, just, just so steve and
1: I, I remember and i mean there'd be a lot of couples that just wouldn't be able to make that first move to that sure. just to go there and we bloody didn't want to either but we, thought we just got to we've just got to do the best we can to to sort of survive and and i remember remember petra's one of the first things she said was something like 50 percent of couples will will break up when they have a a loss of a child. And we just looked at each other and thought, well, that can't happen. That's
0: the other 50%. Yeah.
1: So even just if that was the only thing we heard, that we knew we had to make our relationship a priority, which we did. And, yeah, it was just – it was – don't you think they were just –
2: Absolutely. They – simple things, there was – one good book that they gave me that was written by um, a father who lost a child. And it was just, it was something for me to one, read and learn something about grief and how men and women may grieve differently. Um, And the other thing that they introduced was, I don't know if you call him a support person, but they introduced me to someone over the phone who was like a patient counsellor who had gone through their own loss and then After a while, they then got some, obviously, some training and he checked in on me and whether it was a weekly conversation then fortnightly, monthly, and then six months or however long it was down the track where we both thought I was going fine, now call me if you want to. And that was something that SIDS and kids got me on too.
0: Fantastic.
1: Yeah, and then we went on and we joined our support group, which was... Which was really great, and I'm still you know, very good friends with with most of them still to this day. And you know, we 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 all grieved in different ways, but I mean, we obviously had this common bond, and we all loved our babies. And I'm and I and the common thing we had was we all wanted to hear our babies' names being spoken. You know, it was yeah, and that was. That was that was it, and I think most people who lose a child, you you you're so scared that they'll be forgotten. forgotten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, and I think that's something as a society where we've still got a long way to go, but we're a lot better now than what it would have been ten, twenty, thirty, forty years mm-hmm. ago, where mm-hmm. it was just said, don't talk about them anymore, mm-hmm. and just have another baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been really lucky.
0: But you, in fact, did have two new babies. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, and, 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 and as a collective have moved forward and how um,
2: the
0: twins are therefore, they They're four and, four
1: and they're wild, but they're beautiful. And, you know, I think we, I, you know, I, I sometimes wonder what our life would be if we, if we hadn't had Vera and Frank. And I think, I still think we still would be okay. You know, we would have still been able to sort of have a, a a good good life and find happiness and joy. But I tell you what, these little firecrackers—they they really have brought that extra amount of joy in our life. It was um, it was pretty hard having a baby after silk or too.
0: I can imagine it would have been
1: on so many levels, yeah, like the anxiety bringing home these babies and are they going to die as well? Yes. Um. And are we going to be able to keep them safe? Um, the other thing is still going to be forgotten. That was a big one. Like we just like, because people want you to be just happy. So yeah. people think, oh, thank God, they're going to have another baby and they're, they're going to be happy. But no, we needed, yeah, we're having a baby. Still, still. But we still got Syl. And so we, we just had to, you know, we just kept on, you know, we put a Facebook we just always include Syl some, in some little way to let everyone know that she's still a part of our yeah. family. And people picked up on it. Yeah. And
2: We've trained them well. <laughs> we
1: have trained them well. You know,
2: when the babies were born, a uh, little sister and brother for Lena and, and Sylvie. Yeah. And won't they be or the cards, Emma, Lena, Lena, Sylvie,
1: Lena Sylvie. Yeah, Sylvie. Yeah, we always, yeah, okay. Sylvie's always on our cards um, that we receive, which is pretty
2: beautiful.
0: It's interesting what you mentioned just a moment ago about the anxiety of having um, uh, Mm. children again. Because I'll be honest, I was, um, I thought that's something I I really wanted to ask, but I just sort of thought, I don't know how to because Mm. I just thought it must be just such a sensitive thing to, I can't, I mean, that anxiety, is this going to happen again? uh, must be just so in in the forefront of your mind.
2: And yeah, how in the early, like they slept. Two feet from us, yes. but you'd wake up right over in the middle of the night, and you'd need to go and check mm. are they both breathing.
1: Yeah, and I mean, still now, oh yeah. my god, we're still just on high alert, but we also try to think, well, we're just we're just doing the best they're as safe as we can make them, and that's all we can do as well. And you know, we've just been really lucky that we've been able to manage that anxiety. I don't know how, but we sort of can keep it under control. It's worse sometimes.
0: Yeah. yeah, of course it would be. The only other thing which, which we didn't really sort of talk on, we brushed over quickly. But when I was looking at your Instagram pictures and what have you, was was that trip the the slogan for the trip and how people yeah. picked up and followed it? Th- I thought it was just absolutely beautiful.
1: That trip really probably just it just set us up. Really, it was. Um, we yeah, so we called it. What you? Chasing, Chasing Sylvie's Sylvie Sunshine. Sunshine, and we had this whole you know, group of people. Like to be honest, I we rarely, I rarely did anything on social media before um, Silv died, but it was a, an amazing platform that we could still share our our little girl with the world. Like beforehand, just wouldn't have been able to do that. So, so we had this huge group of people that would follow us, and um,
2: so the trip was about 18 months after Sylv passed away, we'd moved back down to Yambach, down here in the southwest. We took a couple of months to get set up and ready to go. And then, yeah, off we went. Well, it was five or six months Uh camping up through Central Australia and down the west coast. And everywhere we went, it was something special about Sylv. Like Lena would meet, she was five by now, would meet people in the caravan park. And before you knew it, she was telling him about Sylve and, yeah, you know, maybe and how she would die, <laughs> but that we were on our little Sylvie adventure, our big trip around mm. Australia, our Sylvie holiday, whatever she called it. And as I think we mentioned earlier, it was sort of out there in nature mm. and.
1: Oh, and just being disconnected from technology and just so, just so.
2: Together as a unit. Yeah. Really.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, swimming in waterfalls <laughs> and just. You know, I mean, obviously we call seal, silly, silly, sunshine, so sunrise, sunsets. I mean, we just, we just absorbed it. We just loved it, and I think it just really put us. It's just, it was just that another thing that just really helped us. We, you know, we can't use that word sort of move on, but it, 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 it was
2: well, to move forward, isn't moved it? Move
1: forward, yeah. and another reassurance that we're going to be okay. Yeah,
2: and it really gave us time too, yeah. because. Um, we had considered taking that time in the immediate sort of for that year that I had to still do with my training after Sylve died, but by finishing my training, it meant that we'd sort of ticked all those boxes and we got the last ticks during a year when we really were looking after ourselves. Mm -hmm. And now this year was spent, you know, again, trying to grow and spending good time with Lena and taking her on this adventure but also then I suppose getting us prepared for it yeah. life. And, real life. and that we do want to have another child if we can mm. and mm. we got two.
1: Yeah, we did. We blamed the Carmelites because yeah. they were praying for us to have, <laughs> yeah. have another baby. And and Sylvie's, we Sylvie's got, very cool. We got well, maybe that might
2: be the very Catholic thing <laughs>
0: yeah. about you, trying to have more children. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Catholic people. <laughs> um, yesterday was the seventh anniversary of Sylvie's passing. How did you spend the day?
1: Well, we try not to make too many plans, actually, and for it to – we always end up doing something really special. So, really, COVID was a little bit different. But we, pretty, we of course, went to visit her, visit her at a grave. She's very in Port Fairy, which was the best decision we ever made because we're living in Melbourne. Like mm. Anyway, she's in Port. So, we went to visit her there, and, and Vera and Frank love. Yeah.
2: And as Vera, she's the more articulate one of the two, <laughs> she said, oh, we're off to Sylvie's today. And yeah. the cemetery, you know, that's Sylvie's place. Yeah. And we go there and it's not unusual for us to fly kites there. Or yeah. yesterday it was have some morning tea mm-hmm. and give her a couple of little presents. And then, but
1: yeah, so then we just jumped in the car and thought we we're just going to go for a road trip. So we just found, you know, you know, a little bit down the road and just found a little secluded beach and had a picnic. We ate our chocolate croissants, which, which was is our- yeah, favourite. and that's our little ritual. We have lots of rituals, but chocolate croissants is, is one, so we always try to have that on our special days. And, um, yeah, we just, blue bubbles. With yeah, our, blue
2: bubbles, through flowers in the yeah, ocean. And, and the kids just loved it. So yeah. it was, it's always a day, though, that we do something to market. Um, it's two days I won't work. It's Syl's birthday and Syl's anniversary. And, yeah, we just try to do something. Yeah. Special, special, yeah.
1: and something that kids will love. Like often we'll yeah. say, "Lena, like, what do what we? Yeah, it's up to you what we do." So that they sort of associate good memories with those.
0: Yeah. Well, I started this discussion by saying that uh, you know, you'd humbly, you know, you're very hum, you're very humble in the way that you present yourselves and the impact that you've made on people. But after spending an hour with you, I can certainly understand why people <laughs> find you such a you know a wonderful you know, positive force to be around because. I mean, as a couple, you know, it's extraordinary that, obviously the strength you have in your relationship. And um, it's, um, it's really quite inspiring hearing you know, the way you're talking and, um, and the way you've, you've moved your lives forward and you continue to embrace Sylvie's presence in your lives. And I mean, seriously, I, I just just so grateful you've spoken to me today and it's been so lovely. So thank you very much.
1: Oh, thank, thank
2: you. you.
0: I'm Milton Walters, and you've been listening to Adapting in My Grief. One of the goals of this podcast is to talk about how we deal with grief in the workplace and how we can possibly do it better. So head over to our website, adapting.com.au, to learn more or indeed share a story or an insight that you might have that you think could be of value to this end. During the conversations throughout the series, if there are any triggers that cause you concern, anxiety, or make you feel in any way uncomfortable, Please seek professional assistance through some of the many great organisations providing invaluable mental health support and services, for example, Beyond Blue and Lifeline, to name just a few. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please feel free to rate and review it and also to subscribe to it. This podcast is produced by Nearly Media in Melbourne, additional sound engineering by I Explain IT in Port Ferry, and the music is by Sophia Whitney.